You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What or who is wisdom in Proverbs? Now, I don't know if you guys know about the book of Proverbs. It's it's an Old Testament book in the middle of your Bible. It's part of what, what scholars call the wisdom literature. Actually, not just scholars, but like ancient Jews would call wisdom literature. A section of, of God's word, which, which doesn't deal so much with the story of his actions, like creating, rescuing from exile, uh, <laughs> rescuing from Egypt, giving a covenant. It doesn't deal so much with that stuff. It deals with more general human experiences. Stuff that is, well, more generally available. Often, sometimes it's called general revelation. It's not all consisting of that. But it's meant to be something that describes human experience. And if you've ever read through Proverbs, you'll find a lot of things that are pretty good descriptions of human experience, right? We, you, you, maybe you've had the experience of rebuking a scoffer. That is, you've told someone who, who has zero interest in listening to what you have to say, you've tried to tell them that they were wrong. How did that go for you? Probably not very well. Right? And Proverbs had, in the middle of our passage, this whole thing about do not rebuke a scoffer. And Proverbs is filled with these kind of little oppositions. That is, do this, don't do this. The wise man does this and doesn't do that. The foolish man does this while the wise person does this. And all these kind of oppositions that talk about kind of the, the contours and shape of our life. And, and you probably know those. You've heard them before. Um, one of my favorite um, is, and this is, remember this really hit me back in high school, is... Um, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's a really great little proverb. Wounds from a friend. How many of you have ever had a friend tell you something that you've done wrong and it hurt? And you didn't really want to hear it, but you knew that you're their, you're their friend. And it's precisely their love for you that leads them to tell you something that was hard. But an enemy, someone who doesn't really love you, when they see something you're doing wrong, they'll be like, Great job. Yeah, that's great, right? So you can precisely trust someone who's willing to talk to you and tell you something, who loves you, who's willing to tell you something difficult and correct you, that that's actually not something you should fear. And you'll find that to be a theme again and again in Proverbs. The willingness to receive instruction is a sign of wisdom. But let's go back for a second. Let's ask, what, what is wisdom? That's our question. The book of Proverbs actually spends about the first 11 chapters preparing you for this question, and it does it in a number of ways, but one of the chief ways, the ways that we put before you today, is by personifying wisdom herself as a woman. It does this significantly in chapter 8, where there's this whole chapter about uh, the woman wisdom, but here in chapter 9, you get this opposition. Two women, I'm going to call them Madam Wisdom and Madam Folly, and both of them are throwing a party, and both of them are inviting guests. Both of them, one is what wisdom has prepared. She's slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. She's got a great feast she's made ready. And then she's called, she sends out her young woman to call from the highest places in the town. So she has this expansive invitation to everyone sent out through her young women to come. And whoever is simple, let him turn in here, whoever lacks sense. It's a feast precisely for those who don't have wisdom to come and get it, to come receive its benefits. But then you have another feast going on, the woman Folly, who is loud. She is seductive, and she knows nothing. So she doesn't have knowledge, right? And she sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat on the highest places of the town. So she's, interestingly, at the same place 
that Madam Wisdom is. We're going to come to that in a second. She calls out to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. She's not sending out people for an invitation. She's trying to grab people who are going somewhere else. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the same invitation. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But she, he does not know, the person who might go into her feast, does not know that the dead are there. And this gives us, this is, a, this is a, kind of like a parable. A parable, a story or an image to help you understand something. And that wisdom is the path of life. You can see down at the bottom, leave your simple ways in verse 6. At the bottom of the left side column, leave your simple ways and live. That is, wisdom leads to life. But folly, coming to her feast, leads to death. The dead are there. Her guests are in the depth of Sheol. Now, why is this? Why does wisdom connected to living and folly connected to dying? Well, that's kind of our first blank here. That wisdom is the life-giving order. Order. Built on God's, built, sorry, born of God's eternal delight in life, written in, in, into his creation for the benefit of humankind. This is kind of a mouthful, but I wanna, we're going to take it apart. That wisdom is, in, in, in Hebrew, it's chokmah. And it's, it's the order of the, an invisible order of the universe that God built in because he likes people living and not dying. He built the universe with a purpose, and that is that humans can survive in it that humans can thrive in it, that humans can grow and be nourished by it and in it. And this is all kind of coming out of chapter 8, where in chapter 8, wisdom, this is kind of a different take on Madam Wisdom, who was, she cries out to the children of man, and she calls out for fools to learn sense, and she says, God possessed me, or created me, depending on which translation you have, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was there. And then in 29, this is this really the verse I have down here for you. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, when he, God, marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing him before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, that is his world filled with life, and delighting in the children of man. Now, this is the point at which I have to pause and acknowledge I think what I think is the driving force behind this question because a lot of people throughout all of Christian, Christian history have read this and said, this is really about Jesus. And if you go look in the Lutheran Study Bible, you can find commentators who will make this argument that this is really kind of a personification of Jesus. And I'm going to give you a really unsatisfactory answer. I don't really think so. You can take me up on this. You can, this is actually a subject of debate. It's a subject in which scholars disagree. Good Christian scholars have good reasons for disagreeing with it. I want to give you some of my basic ones. The first one is that, that exegetically, the reason this, has, this is a fraught passage, because a long ago, a guy named Arius said, okay, if this is about Jesus, it clearly says that God brought him forth at the beginning of his work, the first act of old. That must mean that there was a time before Jesus came, right? Because if, if God's first act was to bring Jesus forth, then there was a time when Jesus was not. In other words, Jesus is not God on the basis of this passage. And today, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons both point to this passage and say, look, Jesus is not the same thing as God because right here. Now, that gets you into the thick and the weeds of this exegetical question. And I think you could go down that route. I'm not going to bore you with it because I think there's actually a more simple reason to say no to this. 
The more simple reason is it makes a complete mess of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone. If Jesus is wisdom in Proverbs, then either you have to throw out the idea that you are saved by faith in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, or you have to try to reinterpret Proverbs as one big book about faith alone. Good luck with that. It's, it, it makes you have to butcher Proverbs. It makes you have to reduce Proverbs. Instead of advice for living a human life that doesn't destroy everything, you have to turn it into a whole bunch of repeated admonitions to just believe in Jesus. It, it just doesn't work. So instead of saying, well, this is really about Jesus, I want to say, look, no, let's just take Proverbs as doing what he's doing, giving us a metaphor. And it also, here's, the other, here's another reason, and it's probably important today. If this is somehow a picture of Jesus, it's kind of gender bendy. Because woman... Because she is a woman. Wisdom is a woman, right? And if Jesus is eternally the son of God, it was weird. Why would the author of Proverbs pick a woman, right? So that's another reason for not seeing Jesus. If he's here, well, you, you got to get to the New Testament first. But let's take some time in Proverbs and try to understand how Proverbs is portraying wisdom. In the first place, it's an, well, I've kind of just, it's an attribute of God, right? It's an attribute of God, the life-giving order born of his delight in life. God eternally delights in life. He's not a sadist who likes killing things for fun. He likes life. He created the world so that it could host life. Notice how wisdom, like a master workman, is part of God's creation. His delight, his delight in life that creates a world in which life can grow and thrive, particularly human life. That's what Proverbs 8.29 is really about, is that that wisdom is that attribute of God through which he creates a world in which humans can thrive. So this means that the world has order. Now, you guys, this is kind of a hard idea for us to wrap our minds around because we're moderns and we are taught in a thousand different ways that the world has no order other than what we make up, right? But let's just look at a simple order that you see in the world, night and day. You didn't choose it. It's just there. You can choose to live in line with night and day and sleep at night and rise in the day, or you can choose to stay up all night, and then you don't do so great during the day. Now, the modern world, is, with the lights and technology, has made it a little easier for us to rebel against this order of night and day. But in the ancient world, it was universal. Until electricity, it was universal. You sleep when it gets dark, and you get up to go, you go to work when it gets light. Right? That's an order of the world that you have to submit to and find how to live within it rather than against it. If you try to go work at night, what happens? You step on your tools, you get attacked and robbed by people, you get beaten and left for dead. So you, you ignore the order of creation at your own folly or at your own, at your own, yeah, at your own risk. And so, here, what's, so wisdom is saying that there's a similar order between human beings in relationships. There's an order to the way we relate to one another as human beings, just like night and day. We don't get to choose it. We, as in created male and female, people who have power and don't have power, people who have uh, money, and there are, there's an order to these things, and we can either try to rebel against it and do, make it up for ourselves, or we can try to live within it. And wisdom says, when you live within it, you'll live well. You will thrive. That's blank number two. Wisdom leads to human thriving. That is what Proverbs calls life. It's not just, you'll survive if you do this. Wisdom leads to human thriving. That is, um, oh, here's another order of creation. Uh, fall, winter, spring, summer. I just completely got them out of order. But you don't plant seeds in the winter, right? Other than unless you want to waste all your money on seeds that don't grow. You don't turn off your water in the summer 
unless you want all your crops to die. You find, you, you work with working with the grain of creation rather than against the grain. And wisdom says, if you do this, you will live. This is what he says in Proverbs 8, 35. Uh, Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me, that is all who hate wisdom, love death. Death and chaos. We're going to kind of come to that in a second. But finding wisdom means finding life. Okay, well, how do you do it? There are three things. Respect for God, knowledge of his law, and heeding of discipline. All right? Respect for God, knowledge of his law, and heeding of discipline. In our passage, and then right at the beginning, we see this again and again through Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We had it in our passage that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other other words, before you can have wisdom about the order of this world and how it works, you have to say, there's a God who created this order, and I'm going to take him at his word. If you don't do that part, then everything else he says is not going to fit together. If you don't get right the fact that God made this world, he puts you in a variety of boxes that you didn't choose. And you either live within them and work within them, or you say, you know what? I forget God's boxes. I'm going to make my own. So fear of the Lord saying God made this world and I don't get to choose how it's set up and how it's designed. That, that's the step number one. Nothing else follows unless you, unless you have a healthy respect for God. This is fear. fear uh, by the way, fear of God is not like a, a fear of him being arbitrary or capricious, right? Like you... If you live with a snake, you should probably fear it. Because if you let it out, it will probably get you, right? That's not what fear of God is. Fear of God is a healthy respect for the fact that he's God and you're not, okay? But God doesn't just, God, he also gave commandments. And in Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. So God's commandments actually tell us about this order of the world, and the reproofs of discipline, it says, are a way of life. So I kind of, this one verse kind of grabbed two different ideas, both of which pop up a lot. And one is that God told you how this order works. That's where we are in the Ten Commandments. That's what his law is. In his law, God says, uh, you shall have no other gods. You were made, you were designed to have one God and one God alone. You shall honor your father and mother. In other words, God gave you a family and a place in society. He placed you there which means he gave you things, people to protect you and watch over you and guide you and lead you. You shall not murder. That's not an arbitrary rule. It's it's, underneath it is the truth. God gave you your body to use for the benefit of others, not for the violence against them. You shall not commit adultery. That means God gave you a family. God gave you a life. He created you literally through a family. And when you do acts that corrupt and destroy family, you actually destroy life. So God's law tells us about this order of his creation. But here's the reality. We can know the commandments, right? And then we don't exactly know how to apply them. We don't exactly know how to do them. And that's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom bridges the gap between the words of the commandments and the choices of everyday life. Right? God could have said, on Tuesdays, do this. On Wednesdays, do this. He didn't. He gave you general rules that then you have to learn how to apply them. And Proverbs is all about that. So Proverbs 6 spends a lot of time talking to this young man about, to the the, the reader, about how to avoid adultery. How to avoid adultery. Because avoiding adultery isn't just about saying no in a certain moment. It's about not even wandering down a street where you know there's a prostitute. It's about making decisions ahead of time so you don't put yourself in a place where you get offered something you can't refuse. Right? 
And so today, maybe that wisdom would sound a little different if Paul were remixing it for the 21st century. Instead of talking, maybe you have hookers on your street corners. I don't have any on mine. So I don't have to think about that dynamic when I'm going for a walk at night. But, but maybe it's, well, you aren't on a computer at a certain hour of the day. You're not at a computer alone. Or you watch what, or you, you, you intentionally don't watch certain things that put in your mind images that destroy your relationship with your spouse. Or you intentionally create barriers between people who might come into your world and corrupt your relationship with your spouse, right? There's all, wisdom is knowing the decisions to make before you have to make the decision to sin. It fills in that gap. We, we kind of know this, right? The difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Knowledge is, the internet says, uh, knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Did you know that tomato is a fruit? Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, right? <laughs> And that's what Proverbs is all about, is knowing the difference between I know God's commands and I know how to act in light of them. And there's a whole bunch of stuff like this. There's a whole, the whole bunch of stuff like this. And, and I'm not, we're not going to dig all the way through it. But the whole point of it, well, and, and, and here's the thing. So fearing God, knowing his commandments, and then listening to the people who've gone before you who say, don't wander down that street. There's a, there's a prostitute down there and she will get you. Right? Discipline. Heeding the advice of people who've gone before you learning from other people's teaching, right? That's a good thing. That's the third part. And, and part of the mark of being a fool is that you refuse discipline. You refuse to accept consequences when you've done something wrong. You refuse to accept rebuke of someone who's your elder. And that's because the opposite of wisdom is not ignorance. It's not like, a, oh, I didn't know any better. The opposite of wisdom is folly. And folly is not mere ignorance. Folly is kind of a gleeful rebellion, against God's order. It is a, wisdom is opposed, number three, wisdom is opposed by folly who resents God. Holy cow, we're already at 17 minutes. Um, um, wisdom is opposed by folly who resents God, the law, discipline, and delights in death and chaos. Right? If, if God made an order that gives you life, then to rebel against it is to do what? Death, chaos, disorder. And it's, it's not just that the fool's kind of happen to wander into it. Proverbs 13 says, in everything the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly, right? The delight, there's a weird kind of, a, a perverse kind of bent in delight in destroying the things that God gave you to, to survive with. The delight in, in hurting things that, in the people around you. Proverbs 129 says, fools, they hated knowledge and they did not choose fear of the Lord. Because that's where it begins, right? If wisdom begins with fear of the Lord, the fool starts with saying, I reject that God stands over me. How dare God tell me what it means to be human? How dare God tell me what it means to be married or tell me what it means to be honest? I'm the one who defines who I am for myself. Because that's the next thing. If there's no God over you who gives you a law and tells you what it means to be human, you say, no, none of that. Who gets to tell you what it means to be human? you. Proverbs 1, or 12, 15, the fool, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The fool says, I'm going to tell myself what it means to be me and no one else, right? That's a, that's a character, like one of the, like the inviting mottos of our modern culture is actually the definition of foolishness, according to Proverbs. Go your own way, right? How does Frank Sinatra say it? Like, I did it my way, Right? Proverbs 1, and the end of this, right, and, and, and rejecting discipline, the end of this all is death. The simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of the fools destroys them. 
All right, so, I, so what, what, do we, what Proverbs has set up, the basic thing, there's a choice that God has given you between life and death, between doing stuff that harms your reputation and your neighbor and doing stuff, well, doing stuff that harms your reputation and your neighbor and doing stuff that gives life to your relationships. And if you read the book of Proverbs, this is the, the option that's being set before you. But one of the, the things about this is that there's always a real close connection between your choice and your survival. If you flip over your, your note sheet, the, the truth is that Proverbs does not tell us the whole story of wisdom. It tells us the general things that are true about life. Right? It's true that, well, the one, one about laziness, that, that uh, the sluggard says, oh, a little rest here, a little nap here, a little folding of the hands, and, and destruction comes upon you. Right? That laziness is this, like, progressive thing that comes generally. And then destruction comes. But not every lazy person gets destroyed. Right? And not every good person thrives. Because Proverbs kind of builds from this, what we call the retribution formula. That is, people get what they deserve. If they choose wisdom, they get life. If they choose foolishness, they get death. Right? And you can see it in a number of passages. As you read through Proverbs, you begin to think, well, yes, but kind of not. Right? So here, here are some of these passages. The fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked will be short. Maybe, sometimes, not always. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Again, maybe, yeah, sure. No ill befalls the righteous. That's not necessarily the case. Lots of bad things happen to people who follow God's will. But the wicked are filled with trouble. Again, true, sometimes, but not always. Or Proverbs 22.6, train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. You can teach, but that doesn't guarantee what choices your adult children make. So Proverbs doesn't tell the whole story of wisdom. And one of the reasons you know this is because Proverbs is not the only piece of wisdom literature. There are two more, two more comments that the Old Testament offers on wisdom, both of which are that little yes but to the book of Proverbs. The first of these, well, wisdom, saying yes, but. Wisdom is not able to fix the deepest human problems, death and suffering. That's what Ecclesiastes tells us. Ecclesiastes is, again, written by Solomon and, and is speaking about wisdom. And it says, you know what? Well, let's read, read Ecclesiastes 2. Then I saw there is more to gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more to gain in light than in darkness. Right? So he's saying Proverbs is right. Wisdom is, is a good idea. The wise person has eyes in his head and the fool walks in darkness. Yet, I perceived that the same event happens to all of them, death. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. So why have I been so wise? And I said in my heart, this is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. For the wise man dies just like a fool point that Ecclesiastes offers us is that, yeah, you can follow Madam Wisdom, but she's not actually going to save you from dying. The world's a little bit more broken than that. And wisdom doesn't always, it might prolong your life, but it's not going to save you from death. Job offers us another problem, which is, well, wait, if the wise people have good things come to them and the bad, and the, the, um, and fools have bad things come, when bad things happen, does that mean I'm a fool? Job Job tells us, was a righteous man, blameless, right? And a bunch of bad things happened to him. He lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his property. He lost so much stuff. And his three godly, proverbial friends show up and say, Job, what'd you do wrong? 
right? Because this stuff only happens to the fools. You must have dishonored God. Your children must have dishonored God. That's why they died. Right? The voice of Proverbs are Job's friends who show up and say, you were unwise, which is why you're suffering. And Job, who, who agrees with wisdom, he agrees with Proverbs, he says, but not me, not in this case. Right now, I'm suffering when I didn't deserve it. And yes, God is wise. Yes, God's wisdom is true, but it is hidden. It is hidden. This is what he says in, in verse 28, or chapter 28. There's this beautiful poem about wisdom and old, talking about how it is hidden. He says, surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the furthest limits, the ore in gloom and darkness. In other words, we can find a bunch of rocks under the ground in the dark. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man doesn't even know its worth. It's not found in the land of the living. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard rumor of it. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. In other words, this invisible delight in life that God has that gives order to his world, we don't see it all the time. And sometimes we suffer without knowing why. Sometimes bad things happen, not because we chose the wrong path, but just because they do. Because God, in his hidden wisdom, lets them happen. And so if we're going to take Proverbs and ask, who is, what is Proverbs and wisdom? We have to, it's a chunk of the story. It's a part of the story that's good and right and true, but it's not the full story. For the full story, we actually do have to go to Jesus. Because Proverbs cannot save us from our sins. Wisdom is God, God's eternal delight in life is fully revealed only in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Paul takes up this idea when he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which by the way is in the whole wisdom setup. Who, who are the ones who winds up getting crucified? Is it the wise or the foolish? It's the foolish. Fools get crucified. Fools are the ones who wind up on the wrong side of the state, Right? We preach Christ the fool, who has walked the road that leads to death, who has been crucified by the powers and the wise of this age. Why? Because he was a fool? No. Because we were. Because at the end of the day, when you give us enough options, we are always going to choose Madam Folly. We might choose Madam Wisdom every now and again. But if you add it all up, we prefer Madame Folly. It's easier. It's more immediately tasty. It's salty McDonald's food. And we know it leads to death, but we like it. Which is why Jesus walked that road of the fool and let himself meet that end of death. That he might throw himself headlong into the abyss and chaos of our foolishness, not because he deserved it or wanted it, but to rescue us. Because he delights in life. He delights in life. And if you want to say that Jesus is God's wisdom, good. Because it's God, he is God's delight in life. He is the foolishness of God that is wiser than all human wisdom. He's the weakness of God that is stronger than all human strength. And what this means, what this means is that when Jesus comes to you, and I tell you about this guy, Jesus, what I'm doing is I'm promising you that be, precisely because you have not chosen wisdom more than foolishness, God is going to count you as Jesus. 
and reckon you righteous and wise because of Jesus simply through faith. Simply through saying, Jesus died for me. Jesus called me Lord. Jesus gave himself for me. Jesus is my wisdom. Jesus is everything that's good about me. That's what gives you life. That's what saves you from death. That's what sustains you when suffering does not seem to add up to what you brought on yourself. Because Jesus is the one who rose from the dead and is making all things new and will redeem and will wipe every tear from your eyes and redeem all unjust human suffering and will reclaim the dead from the earth. And so through faith in Jesus, Jesus actually is your wisdom, which means he gives you fear of God, he gives you knowledge of his law, and he helps you heed discipline. Faith in Jesus leads us into the relationship with God that Proverbs talks about, but not on ourselves, but through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Because of him, because of Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God. That he, he is the wise guy in you, transforming you into wisdom. The righteousness and sanctification, the holification of God and redemption, all of that is God's gift to you in Jesus. So that in him, you can go back and read the book of Proverbs and say, yeah, I think I'll listen to this. This is good advice about how to live under the delight of God in his good and gracious order. Not because you're trying to save yourself, but because Jesus has saved you. Because Jesus has given you life. Because in Jesus, Paul says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your heart and mind in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. This has been a message from Emmaus Church, LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org. Thank you.